This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me today are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Good morning, friends. Hello. Well, I say good morning because it's bright and early here, but it could be at any time of the day when you all end up listening to this. Um, But welcome back to our continuing conversation on the book, Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry. Uh, Last time we ran out of time, as often happens in good conversations. So we barely touched on the beginning of Hannah's years as a mother. And part one of this book ends with little Margaret's childhood uh, with Hannah at the Feltner's. And Virgil is um, missing in the war. And on our last episode, we commented how how remarkable it is that Barry as a man is writing this book from the perspective of a wife and mother and somehow deeply capturing the emotions and heart of both of those relationships. And he speaks of the room of love. And if you're if you're reading the the um, paper book um, that's on page 51, this beautiful um, passage about uh, the rooms, the room of love and the doors that come in and out of it and the people that come in and out of our lives. And as you're reading of Hannah and little Margaret, um, as I was reading it, I'm just, as I'm a mother myself, um, it just stirs up these emotions, as he says, of Hannah and little Margaret she was a happiness that made me cry. And I think for so many of us, um, how many of us had tears in our eyes when we um, birthed our children and held them? And it's the happiness that makes us cry. And in the room of love, this door of motherhood opens. And Hannah says, to know that I was known by a new living being who had not existed 
until she was made in my body by my desire and brought forth into the world by my pain and strength that changed me. And then another time they say of little Margaret, as if all of a sudden we couldn't imagine the world without her. And that's the change that comes over us in motherhood and it's beautiful. And so today we're going to, it's, we're going to talk about part two, which is the beauty of motherhood, but we'll jump into, um, as motherhood is a long journey that doesn't end when our children leave our home, we'll talk a little bit about that too. And some of the joys and sorrows and changes that come, um, so let's just jump into the conversation of Hannah as a mom, but a little bit different in that she has lost her first husband and there's this beautiful section of her falling in love with Nathan. And um, maybe y'all jump into the conversation about how they, how did they create a home together and what did they want from their home and what did that look like as a mom and a new wife and this place that they're building. I think one of the things that, that Wendell Berry does so beautifully in his books is that establishment of a sense of place and, and wherever you live, whether, whether it's in a suburban cookie cutter neighborhood where you're on a cul-de-sac with the, the rest of the moms and kids or, or maybe you're, you are living out in the country somewhere or you're in an apartment in the middle of a big city um, we all have our own places. And in the beginning of chapter 10, Hannah says, we were each other's welcomer and each other's guest. And so we had come to our place. Um, sometimes you, you may not even recognize that till you move away and you come back, I think. But um, place is more important than we realize. And um for me, a couple of weeks ago, I was back in Houston and I was driving around with my daughter, Kristen, who now lives in Houston. So she was born and raised there, moved away and has now moved back. And, and I lived there for almost 40 years and I was back for a visit. And as we drove around town together, we started just kind of telling stories about, oh, remember when, when you were on this part of the freeway and you did this? Or remember when we went to that store together? And it was so fun because we had that place and those memories that we shared together. And, um, and just to kind of relive a little bit of those. And so I, I think whether you, you know, Barry has this idea of the membership, which we can talk about that later if we want, but just the point that, you know, this is your home. And as Hannah says, and it's a beautiful benediction and I'm not into cross stitching and if I, you know, I'm not going to cross stitch it and make it on a pillow, but she does say, um, welcome, love each other, love this place and use it well, bless your hearts. And in the best Southern way, bless your hearts, right? I know it's like Barry really means that. Bless yeah. your hearts, like a true it's blessing. Good. Not it's not patronizing no. <laughs> or that's yeah. That's really Hannah's Hannah's heart for this. Um, so it, for, as you said, in all of Barry's works, you have this strong sense of place. His writings are just it's it's woven into everything and. Honestly, that is probably why we love his work so much, whether it's his essays or his novels, um, because we're hardwired that way. We're hardwired for place and a connection to it. Mm -hmm. And we live in um, a day that probably does have a disconnection from place. Um, but I, I kind of want to put these things together. So maybe it's going to be a little bit out of order in the book. But if you read all of part two, 
we'll make a big picture of it. Um, and he's, he talks here a little bit about a better place. And then he, um, then there's a chapter on the membership. So maybe let's put those together a little bit. Um, when people read Hannah Coulter, I think the membership is one of the things that always sticks out to the people and this like desire for, hey, I want a membership. I love this idea of the membership. Any thoughts on like, what is Barry saying the membership is? Where did it come from? Like, what is the membership? Can you make membership? Can you jump into a membership? I think that the membership comes from having a common goal together. So as, as we talked before we started recording, at this time, it's just after World War II and it was an economic membership. So you had the people bartering and sharing and uh, doing the work of the farm on the land together. And there, and, and um, Nathan says somewhere that he, he, well, he didn't want to have an employer. He didn't want to be paying his people to do work for him. He didn't want to treat his sons like they were his employees but rather he wanted them to be part of the membership of working together on a farm to, to create a beautiful place and to produce the things that they were called to produce. And so the people together in the community were an economic membership together. And we don't, we don't have economic membership anymore unless it's with our employer or employees for the most part, but we have other kinds of membership. And, and if we're, if we have a common goal with other people that, that does form a membership like a homeschooling community or a church community or a church community who also lives close together and can help each other do things, which I'm so grateful. You know, we have that in our little town of Concord here and uh, with, and with Cersei as well. And so in some ways, the membership is still a possibility, even if it's not economic. Yeah, Karen. And I love how, you know, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when when Verge comes back, it's interesting. He's not really part of the membership yet. You know, he's 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 returning home. But you notice the first thing Hannah does is arrange for him to get paid. She talks to the branches and she says, "If he works for you, you pay him. If he works for me, I'll pay him." And I kind of got that sense of he's got to prove himself, and and we'll pay him to do what he's what he's doing. But I, I kind of gathered that was a, a precursor. Maybe once he's proved himself and he's been there, he'll be part of the membership and he probably won't be paid anymore. He'll live there and, and contribute, right? He, She is doing for Virgil, her grandson, exactly what her grandmother did for her, yes. right? Yes. Take, take, like, take an opportunity and take it into her own hands to make a place for him. And I, right. love, I love that, that she's being that grandmother again that she so loved in her own life. And that's all part of a membership, a family to be able to do that. Yes. I think when we, maybe as moderns read this, we, they're moderns too, but more moderns than they are. Um, At least I, I see this in my generation a lot. We read this and we're like, I love this membership. You know what we should do? We should make a membership. And then we try to create these memberships. Because there's, it really, there is kind of like this romantic appeal to it. Um, But what's fascinating about a true membership is 
it's the people who choose to be in it for this common purpose, whether it's economic or church, um, like church is a great example of this. But then I was also thinking of this when we were talking about um, our homeschool groups and we're like, be kind of like, I mean, you never know who's going to be in your homeschool group. You actually kind of never know who's going to be in the membership. There's going to be people that you don't necessarily um, jive with as well as others. That's a true membership. A true membership is not this carefully curated. These are the people who are like me um, exactly who think like I do. But there's um, I think it, it, it's something like C.S. Lewis's quote on friendship when he's like, what you two? I thought I was the only one. And for them, it was an economic need. But maybe it is church. Maybe it is homeschooling. One thing is clear, as she says in here, it is choosing to be a part of it, Um, as she says of her children. And then a couple, there was a couple other, Nettie and somebody, I forget now, who leave and they choose to leave. So there is something of the the free will nature of it, of I'm choosing to be a part of this or not a part of this. Um, But maybe contrast what she's saying, maybe it's not contrast, maybe putting them together, actually. Um, her thoughts on a better place and the membership, because in this story, um, in chapter 10 on our of our place, it's page 83 in the um, paper book, um, she's talking about how most people are looking for a better place, and there is no better place, she says not in this world, and it is by the place we've got and our love for it and for and our keeping of it that this world is joined to heaven. How does that better place relate to the membership or a desire for a better place? Hmm. I think one of the things that Hannah can teach us is the, the joy of contentment and gratitude for being where you are. Um, she had she experienced so much in her life, but but she was always very steady. I, mean, I love her maiden name is Stedman. Um, she's a very steady, rock solid woman, um, and I think she's not looking for a better place. She's happy to be where she is, but it's it's by the love for that place where she is. She says that the world is joined to heaven. Um, it, it, so the grasping or the constant wanting something different. Um, I think she's saying it's, it's not going to satisfy you. And, and that's when she says most people are ending up in a, looking for a better place means that a lot of them will end up in a worse one. Um, and she saw that with her own children. And then she talks right after that section about um, worrisome thoughts in the night, you know, of what what's going to happen to me? Where is my place going to be when at the end of my life? And then she says, as a, as a gift, as a mercy, I remember to pray thy will be done. And then again, I am free and I can go to sleep. And so there's, you know, there's a, a sense of, of letting go of not worrying about that better place also for the future that, that she's thankful for that. She can just pray thy will be done. Even when the worries and thoughts come. Mm-hmm. And that's a mercy given her. I love that it says that. It's a gift. It's a mercy that um, 
which makes you see that the even the ability to say thy will be done is something given to us like our mm-hmm. lord gives us that and i i was i was thinking of this connection between better place and membership because many of us who have there's maybe a fine line here many of us who have read barry um i mean for myself for sure i mean i live out on several acres um and for i mean part of the reason I do is because I read Wendell Berry. It's not the sole reason, but it sparks things in my heart and mind and my family and friends and conversation. Um, so I, I think there's some of us who are like, you know, the idyllic life would be to have your 40 acre farm in Kentucky and your membership. And that would be the better place. And then I could raise my kids there and then they would just stay there. Essentially everything that Hannah wants as well, who, has the 40 acres in Kentucky or whatever. Um, And so putting that together, and I really took this to heart on the better place and the, and the membership, maybe, um, maybe you already have a membership. Maybe it already exists in your life and maybe it's not 40 acres farming in Kentucky. Um, And that's why I loved when she says there is no better place, not in this world. And it is by the place we've got and our love for it and our keeping of it mm-hmm. that this world is joined to heaven, that what you have right now, and we'll talk about that in a second with, as her children grow up of the chance you've got is the life you have. And what a good reminder of living in contentment and saying, thy will be done. I probably just- Yeah, so there's a poem that Wendell Berry wrote called, What We Need Is Here. And I won't read the whole thing, but the ending, he says, what we need is here. And we pray not for a new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and an eye clear. What we need is here. Mm. And this, I think that the culture that we we live in, everybody wants more. We want a bigger house. We want a newer car. We want to be able to, you know, have newer electronic things. We want a fancier stove. We want one of those really cool new fridges that I've seen a friend have. I like, we feel like our, the bettering of ourselves is to, to get more things or to have, to have more things, to, to provide our children with more things and more opportunities and more trips. And he's saying, no, the better place is, is right here with what you've got. And that that all those things don't bring you contentment. They actually can bring you more worry. In chapter 14, The Room of Love, there's a quote that says, you have had this life and no other. You have had this life with this man and no other. What would it have been to have had a different life with a different man? You will never know. That makes the world forever a mystery. And you will just have to be content for it to be that way. We quarreled because we loved each other. I have no doubt of that. We were trying to become somehow the same person, one flesh, and we often failed. When distance came between us, we would blame it on each other. And here is a wonder. I maybe never loved him so much or yearned toward him so much as when I was mad at him. It's not a simple thing, this love. And just that idea, you, this is the life you have. This is, this is the man you love. This is, here are your children. 
And here's Hannah's children who, as we go on here, she, um, they leave. And, and there's this, she has this life of grief and that's part of her grief um, is her children leaving. And I, I feel like we're just going to have to like, as mothers and educators, just like boldly jump into Barry's discussing Barry's view on education, because it is pretty, it is pretty fascinating. He obviously has a very strong view on education that's coming through in this novel. Um, he says outright, the way of education leads away from home. Um, and hey, uh, oh, here it is on uh, chapter 15, A Better Chance. The way of education leads away from home. The big idea of education from first to last is the idea of a better place, which he's just commented on his thoughts on a better place. As women in the world of education, what's your take on that? Well, well, I think it's true that we do in some way want to offer our, son, our children something by giving them an education. Nobody wants their 30-year-old son living in their basement because he can't afford life because he didn't, you know, he, he, he hasn't been successful until now. So he has to live at home. Nobody wants that for, their, for themselves or for their child. So sometimes that requires, you know, you know your child. So you know your child's giftings. And sometimes you say to your child, you, you will need to go to college. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. So while while Barry is saying, you know, as we hear him saying, education leads away from home. Yeah, sometimes it does lead away from home. And sometimes we have, we have to be okay with that. So like we have five grown children. We had a period of time where only one lived close by. One lived in Uganda, one lived in Australia, one lived in Michigan, and one lived in New York. And and we grieved that we were, we were happy that one lived at home. I mean, not at home, but one lived in our town. And now we have four living in our town and one living away. And so all that to say that getting an education and or pursuing a goal does, does take them away from home. And there isn't really a way that we can, we can't stop that. It wouldn't be healthy to stop that. So maybe I'll throw this question out there too. And Renee, maybe you can jump in on this, um, especially as you um, speak on like, what education really is and what is the purpose of education. Um, he says in here <laughs> that I'll repeat, the big idea of education from first to last is the idea of a better place, not a better place where you are, because you want it to be better and have been to school and learn to make it better, but a better place somewhere else in order to move up, you have got to move on. So he's, he's making a definitive statement of this is what education is. It is the idea of a better place. Now, I, I actually do think that is our modern education system. Yes. But yeah. Is that what education I, is? So if maybe you disagree no. with his premise, you're like, that's not what education no. is. I, I'm going to disagree with Wendell Berry, St. Wendell. I, I, no, I think you're right. I think he is commenting on modern education there. Um, and, and that is true. If, if you are, 
you and your kids are looking at a school and, and their biggest selling point is that their graduates make X amount of dollars or their graduates have these wonderfully respectable, super duper impressive positions, then you may have different goals from that educational institution. If your goal is that education is cultivation of wisdom and virtue, um, then perhaps you want a school that has that as its goal as well. Um, Now, at the same time, education should equip us to make our way in the world, whether that's a college education or a trade school education or an apprenticeship with a mentor. um, We've got, like Karen said, we've got to be able to support ourselves. And part of helping launch our kids get out of the house and out the door is they've got to have a way to earn money and provide for themselves and do all those quote adulting things that you know, they've got to know how to do. Do they know how to get their car fixed? Do they know how to sign a lease? Do they know how to buy something? Do they, you know, do they understand the ins and outs of, gosh, medical insurance and all that fun <laughs> stuff, you know? Oh, I hate it. But um, yeah, all of that is part of part of education. And, you know, and we've got to remember, Barry left to get an education himself and he came back. So it is possible that they're going to leave for a while. And in some sense, they're going to come back. That's that's an opening that, um, you know, we just never know what the Lord has. But yeah, I, I, I don't think education is always about better, faster, higher, stronger, more, 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 more money, more everything, more status, more position, more power. Um, you know, education should be about humility and service and love and um, seeing who we are in the way God sees us and, and serving his kingdom where he has us, whatever that looks like. And perhaps we've made education in our modern society, kind of like the, the, the paramount of life in that it's such a huge part of our life. It's very fascinating to me that Barry compares the, uh, the cultures to the branches in the last chapter of this um, part And in many ways, he makes the branches kind of look better in some ways in that they they stayed with the land and they chose not to go away to school. (laughs) We would look at that and be like, look at this redneck family. That's just kind of like a bunch of hicks who live in the backwoods. So he makes this comparison between the two. But I I wonder, um, and, and actually a lot of drive for families to send their kids to college came out of, I don't want my kids to, I don't want my family to be like the branches. You know, I really want them. I want to offer them a better life, but I wonder if it has less to do with whether college offers a better life. And it's more of an understanding of there is no better life. Thus, what should I do? Which is hopefully, I mean, our kids are going to do what our kids are going to do. And you have adult children who are doing what they want to do. Um, That's right. But hopefully, at least we have this idea of education that's, okay, it's not for a better place. It is for who we are as people and (laughs) live the chance, live the chance you've got. And it says that on um, the opposite page from when it says the way of education leads away from home. Um, when Nathan says to her, don't complain about the chance you had. And then she says, the chance you had is the life you've got. What you must do, you mustn't want to be somebody else. What you must do is this. 
Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I'm not all the way capable of so much, but those are the right instructions. So I think that's an education. Like an education <laughs> is to learn to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. So go to college, don't go to college, get married, don't get married, live on a farm, live in the city. I loved how um, I loved how Nathan, how Wendell writes Nathan's struggle with this because we haven't really talked about that. How he so wanted at least one of his boys to stay on the land, and he he puts all his hope and expectations that's going to be Caleb because Maddie wasn't he didn't want to be in the farm. He hated farm work as a boy. He goes off and he works in California for one of those companies that doesn't even have a name. It's just a bunch of letters like IBM. I love that line. And so he puts all his hope in Caleb and then, and then Caleb goes off to study agriculture and, and Nathan still thinks, oh, he's going to come back. He's going to come back with his degree in agriculture. And then he says he's going to grad school and then they're eating dinner and Nathan just cries and it's heartbreaking. But I, I love that, that, that side of Nathan is, is shown because that's how it is for so many people, so many dads who, who wants the son to take the family business and um, it doesn't happen. And you, and you just have to let the expectations go. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a beautiful scene. I haven't read all of the, the very canon, so I, I don't know, but um, I'd like to read more of his characters and see how other characters approach if they talk about this kind of thing, um, someone told me once that who and the character of Andy Catlett is mm -hmm. the one most like Wendell Berry. So, so to read Andy Catlett's story is more autobiographical. Um, so now, now that's the next one on my list. Do you have yeah. any, um, we're actually, this is just so fun and we just keep running out of time. So we only have a few more minutes and I, the next big part of the conversation is um, transitioning to adult children, but that's a really big conversation. And I, I so want to hear from you all about um, that transition and what, um, and letting go of expectations. And that comes up so much here, but I feel like we are going to have to jump into it next time because that's such a big one. So do you have any recommendations then you saying that Renee for any other of Barry's works that kind of flesh out his, his thinking on, on place or an introduction to, I mean, it like mentions oh, yeah. these characters and you're like, who are all these characters? Yeah. So I do have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, first of all, I didn't, it wasn't until I got to the end of my book that I found a family tree chart. So if you're reading Hannah Coulter on your Kindle, go to the end. <laughs> that's where the chart is. And you can find out who's related to who and how that was super helpful. And there's a map. Um, and also someone said that the, the, his book of short stories called this distant land or that distant land, let's see, I've got it up here. Um, where is it? Uh, that distant land <laughs> will help acquaint you with the stories of, of the people in Port William. And so that was helpful. Um, also, um, I've started listening to, and I'm not through with it. It's, it's long and dense, but it's a, a book of his essays called the world ending fire. And that's, that's Barry's nonfiction. That's his thoughts on farming and land and economy sprinkled in with some thoughts on literature. Um, and, and, and it's wonderful and it's great to listen to. 
I will tell you a funny story. And this is a Cersei story. Um, one, a couple of years ago, I was downstairs having breakfast at one of our regional conferences and Dr. Ralph Wood from Baylor was sitting there and he very graciously invited me to sit down with him in the, you know, at the breakfast area of the La Quinta Inn and, and have breakfast with him. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, here's this esteemed professor. And what are we going to talk about? And I'm so excited to sit down with him. And um, so I mentioned something about Wendell Berry and he said, oh, I don't like his fiction. I was like, really? And Dr. Wood said, I think the gist of it was he felt like he was trying to use stories to, to moralize and to, to get across his, his theories on life and economy and farming. And by putting it into a story, he said, I think he said he'd just rather read the essay. And I'm thinking, I love the story. <laughs> for me, that's how I'm learning how he thinks. And that's how, for me, the story is a great way to communicate. So for those of you listening, if you think Barry is a little dense and a little deep and a little hard to get into, just read the stories and, and you'll get it. <laughs> because if they're infused with, with what he believes and thinks about life. We have given this book, Hannah Coulter, to people who are dealing with grief. Because there's no richer passages than than his on love and grief mm -hmm. and joy and sorrow and the intermingling of those things, yes. you know. And so, I I I, I disagree with Ralph Wood. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> ooh, that's a scary thing to say. But um, I just think that the riches, you know, you have to. You have to read it with with nuance, right, and some discerning abilities. But um, his the pictures that he gives of characters are are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm gonna just wrap us up actually with a, with another recommendation, and it's a it's actually a book that Karen gave me that I finished last week, and it's a little bit of a funny recommendation. Um, but it is a book called Pastoral Song. And I don't, now I don't actually remember who it's by because I don't have it right here, but it's a newer book, Pastoral Song. It's actually a book on, um, it's essentially like a memoir commentary of a guy, a farmer who lives in England and he's raised on the family farm. And it's just kind of, um, it's it's his story. Oh, um, James. Yes. Um... Yeah, James somebody. Yeah. Did they retitle it? Because it was called something else before. He had, well, he has a couple different books. Yeah. They're so good about growing up on the family farm and raising sheep. Yeah. Anyway, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful book, but it's also his commentary on modern farming. Um, Wendell Berry wrote like the foreword or something in it and, and very high praise. Like you should read this book. Anyway. James Rebanks. Okay. James Rebanks. Yes. Oh, perfect. Like pick up this book. It's so good. Um, but as, but read it, you can read it through the lens of um, modern farming. It's very inspirational. It'll make you want to buy a farm and like do regenerative agriculture, but you can read it through the lens of education. Very fascinating. Um, and making some connections with Barry of just like this farmer is talking about factory farming. It just the whole way through, it made me think about um, factory education and how there's so many similarities to modern farming practices and modern education practices. Um, like, when you think of all those like chickens crowded in a barn, I don't know, 
Yeah, kind of my, I'm just going to let you draw your own conclusions there. Um, there's a reason why there's actually a thing called like free range homeschooling. That's where that came from. Anyway, that's where we'll wrap it up with that. Pick up that book um, and some of other Barry's works. I you liked it. Oh, it was so beautiful. Thank you. And then actually, next, so next time we'll jump into a really big conversation that I I really just want to talk about and hear about um, from Karen and Renee, and that is the transition to adult children and expectations and how to love well during those years. But until then, here's to home. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.